If it's a common practice, uh, one should look at it perhaps around the idea of uh, future bargaining chips. Uh, I, I have serious doubts whether any of the actors in that conflict would inflict damage on a power plant because um, if they get it wrong, mm. the outfall, the resultant outfall of that uh, is not selective of whether it will impact on Russia, Russians, uh, Ukrainians, Ukraine or where. Mm. Uh, and we know that because we know what happened in the, in the case of Chernobyl. So I'm looking at this through a, a few lenses, one of them being a possible bargaining chip. One of them is to control electricity supply. The other part of that is then what I said, a future bargaining chip, because remember, everything now mm. is at the extreme on the periphery. Uh, and there's nobody really moving towards the middle ground at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of uh, the, the nuclear sites, uh, I think they are high-value targets, but not for attack. And this is the question that a journalist asked towards a Russian uh, spokesperson. Mm. Are you just bad at targeting or are you deliberate? And uh, the official did not really come up with an answer. Because they, they're still disclaiming responsibility for, for whatever shelling took place, I suppose, at Zaporizhia. I know they are denying it, yeah. so it it could be an error uh, in terms mm. of targeting. But uh, I think that the whole idea of obtaining or uh, occupying these sites has to do with an influence on uh, on the war, and uh, yes, mm. possibly as bargaining chips. You, you, you know what I find interesting, Professor, and I'd love to get your insights here. There, there are fifteen nuclear power plants around the Ukraine. Uh, or around Ukraine, the, the, if it is the tactic by Russia, as they advance, as they encircle more, more, more cities in in Ukraine, if they take more of these over, isn't it a risky one? Because it's it's perhaps the single biggest reason then for the EU, for NATO, to get involved directly militarily, because any thing going wrong at those nuclear power plants, it's going to impact not only Ukraine. But Europe as a whole? Yeah, um, I, w I would like to point out two things. The first one is we must see that those that they did, um, let's call it occupy, are on their advance axis uh, where the Russian forces are in control of areas. Mm. Um, if you look at the location of these nuclear plants, uh, not all of them are in areas that are at the moment easily accessed by the Russian forces. So, it, you know, they spread over the country. The other part of this is um, a mere occupation and securing them is something that probably that uh, the other countries from the West would carefully monitor, and they are able to do it, mm. and to see whether this only becomes part of an argument of occupation and control. And I, ca I cannot think that uh, any damage or type of destruction of these sites are on the cards mm. because you you cannot control the outcome of it. I got you. That, that is the problem. You cannot control the outcome of damage to any of these sites. The idea that you will want to make uh, in some horrific scenario that you want to make uh, the Ukraine a wasteland, um, it's not the Ukraine that's going to be a wasteland because you 
it's going to impact Russia as mm. much as it might impact the Ukraine. Okay. Now, the other thing that just goes over my head completely and I don't understand it. For a whole week we've been talking about this and I'm not sure if it is the largest single military deployment but the 60 kilometer convoy of tanks and logistic support vehicles which is said to have been stalled outside Kiev. Explain to us how that could have happened because someone within the Russian military would have done calculations in terms of how much fuel, how much food was needed to move a deployment of that magnitude all the way to Kiev. Right. If you, if you want to start at the right from the beginning, one reason we are seeing that, I think, is that it is now general knowledge that the, the military side of this Russian military operation uh, or invasion into the Ukraine um, did not go as well as planned, first of all. Uh, the idea that you will have quick victory with your advancing forces, it did not pan out. Uh, and there's a number of reasons around this. Mm. Secondly, if the idea is you must now um, type of move your forces and you must build up much larger forces closer to the entities like Kiev that you want to take over, now you have to move uh, a massive force mm. in order to do it because the initial part of the strategy that you could take over these cities, they will fall the the Ukrainian military won't be so good, etc. That flew out of the window. Mm. Uh, secondly, it's a very, very large number of vehicles to move. Uh, that, is, that is complex. And then, like someone described it yesterday, that, that is not a convoy, convoy that's, that we are seeing. That's a traffic jam. <laughs> and there's, a, there's quite a number of reasons around this about uh, the, 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 the skill, the knowledge, and the expertise to move mm. such a large force. Uh, the other part that is now becoming uh, clearer and clearer is that the logistic support is just not what it has to be. So some parts of the convoy move, mm. some parts of the convoy can't move. And the other part of this is, of course, it would be better to move that convoy on several axes. Mm. Uh, but the idea to put the majority of it on one road um, that doesn't make real sense because the idea was if you don't have to move that convoy across country, but on a road, uh, it would move much faster. And that's not working out uh, for them at the moment, but they want to get larger forces with support towards Kiev. And uh, now they've type of got entrapped in this problematic situation of a huge convoy that's just not moving as planned. Final question, and and we know that Russia Russia has taken losses in terms of uh, of deaths of their soldiers in Ukraine. We we know that things have not gone logistically the way that they wanted to. The the option left for Vladimir Putin now, if he's not going to be forced to the negotiating table, is what? Just make it look like it's a long term siege in all the major cities that they can control. Um, I'm looking at this again from if if they want to move and control all these cities, and if you look, uh, that Kiev is probably um, the first prize, and they want to get to Kiev. But the problematics around this is um, we are not talking about um, settlements or villages. We are talking about 
cities mm. with very large concentrations of people, etc. It's one thing to shell the city. It's one thing to move your forces. It's a totally different world of now holding those large cities because we just have to look back in time. Cities uh, that are bombed out are ideal territories in which to uh, type of wage attrition warfare by forces that are, do not really conform or mm. that fall back from a conventional force into a type of irregular force. And, and that's going to be a major headache for the Russians. The other part of that, of course, is that the argument that the Russians are now making cold calculations in type of mathematical calculations. Mm. Uh, this is how what we should commit. Uh, don't worry about the distraction. We cannot backtrack now. And mm. I still look at this through the lens of uh, gaining uh pieces for your future chessboard about we can't stay there forever, we can't occupy a whole country, but we also can't be seen to move out. Okay. So we have to gain chips on that board with to negotiate in future because uh, we cannot hold that whole country. So we want to have a trade-off, what we can hold that would be the closest to our objectives gotcha. versus what gotcha. we could trade. Fascinating indeed. Professor Francois Frey there, I'd love to have him on again to chat about what's happening in the skies above the Ukraine and uh, or above Ukraine and Russia. And he's, of course, military expert from Stellenbosch University's Security Institute.